Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. Stay tuned after the Torah study for details on how to stay in touch with this ministry and keep up with all of our content. I hope you enjoy the study. All right, Shalom, everybody. We are back. This is the survey of the scriptures. We have made it to chapter 30 of Shemot, and we are going to pick up in Parashat Kitisa when you take, and that's in verse 11. Um, that paragraph there is about atonement money, all right? And that's what it's talking about when it says, when you take. And it is a ransom for his soul unto Yahweh when you number them. And you'll notice that it is uh, half a shekel of the holy shekel, which is 20 geras. Both of those are an amount of weight. Um, half a shekel for an offering. Everyone has to bring it and give the offering. The rich cannot give more and the poor cannot give less when they give the offering. And it is atonement money for the soul. And you shall take it from the children of Israel and appoint it for the service of the Ohelmoid, that it may be a memorial for B'nai Israel before Yahweh to make atonement for your souls. All right. So... Let's put this back in context. We are in Shemot, right? Mm -hmm. We just finished making the Mizbeach, right? Had a crown yes. on it. We have been, we have basically been making all of the artifacts, all of the implements of worship for the temple at this point, right? Yes. All right. So how much is a half a shekel? Does anybody know? Have a penny? Mm, no. Mm. I always thought it was like a bushel, like a half a bushel. No, this is money. So this is kesef, which is silver. So is it like half an ounce of silver? Almost. What we would call a troy ounce, a pure ounce. Um, it's slightly different than that, um, mm -hmm. but it's it's not a lot. But but it's silver, so it's also not a pittance. Okay, and this in my mind, and I could be wrong. It's been a while since I've read it, and I probably should have reviewed it before today. This is a one-time deal. All right, because there is another offering that they bring into the temple every time they come in, if I'm not mistaken, right? And we'll keep our eye out for that, okay? But um, this is, and also this is a ransom, and it pays for the temple, all right? So this may be, and I, again, I apologize, this may be the one that everybody brings every time they come in. How many times do they have to go? Three times three times every year. And it seems like we just read that, right? So yeah. uh, if, if that's the case, then they bring basically a shekel and a half every year to the temple at a minimum, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. But it is an atonement. It's ransom money for his soul. Let's look at that first. This is in verse 12. Livkudehem, 
All right. Let me make sure I'm getting this right. When you take the sum of B'nai Yisrael according to the number, they shall give every man a ransom for his soul when you number them. All right, that's in the middle of verse 12. Beef kodo tam, when you number them. All right. When you appoint them, when you assign them or whatever. So that's not count. All right. That's why I'm bringing this up. Leaf kudehem to ransom them, v'natanu ish kofer, an atonement for his soul. All right. Ransom for his soul when they are numbered. All right. So the, the reason I'm pointing all of this out is the words atonement is what you, you typically know as atonement, Yom Kippur, right? Mm -hmm. All right. Ransom and redeem have a similar concept in English, right? Yes. yes. So pakad is the root word of what you guys know as pakid, which is an appointed one, an officer. Um, so there's something, the point that I'm making is there's a little something more going on here, something slightly different than what you typically know as a ransom. All right. So it's almost like it is saying, if you're going to come into the temple, you have to be official. You have to be, uh, have to do it the right way. All right. And so there is an atonement. So have you picked up on the fact that there's all these many different atonements going on? Yes. Beyond just the day of atonement? No, I had not seen that until you pointed it out. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. It's the big one. And it atones for all the sin of all the year. You guys have been through Yom Kippur over and over, so you understand what I'm talking about. It atones for the sin of that year. We who trust in Messiah have our final atonement secured already, right? Mm -hmm. For the day of redemption, we have our final atonement secured already. Yeshua did that at Passover, but remember the overlap between the feasts? Yes. All right. So he's, he's secured Yom Kippur, the future Yom Kippur, which will be Judgment Day. For those of us who trust, he's already done that. All right. Yeah. So this atonement here is not, it's, it's just to get you in the door. <laughs> All right. And whether or not there's something in the gospel that says that, this to me, um, it's almost as if you turning around to come back to God for the very first time. It, that's what this almost represents to me. Hmm. Are you with me? Yeah. Mm. Because you go into the temple and then you got to make your offering. And then Israel has to make their offering. The Cohen has to make his offering. There's multiple atonements going on, even on Yom Kippur. Mm. <laughs> There's more than just one going on, all right? So this is equal for everybody, 
whatever that price is, whatever it amounts to in the, in the amount of silver that it is, which I think is about a half an ounce, give or take, uh, that's not a whole lot. An ounce of silver right now costs us $25, but that's because our money is hyperinflated, right? Mm -hmm. So it's not a whole lot, but everybody has to come up with it, okay? What I like about it is atonement is seen as equal. Mm -hmm. And did you notice in the sacrificial offerings that, and we'll get to this again when we get to Vayikra, to Leviticus, that if someone brings, is if someone can't afford to bring a lamb, that they can then bring a dove or a pigeon. Yeah. But it achieves the very same thing. So there's kind of an equalization going on there. Yeah, Joe, what you got? Joe. Uh, I just looked it up. Uh, this says that a shekel equals about a half an ounce. Yeah, that's what I thought. Okay, yeah, so it's not very much. Yeah. I also looked up, uh, uh, Abraham paid 400 for the cave at Machpelah. Yeah. Just to give a little comparison. Of... Yeah, 400 shekels, which are not the mm -hmm. holy shekel. I don't know if it was the same weight because apparently oh. there, okay. there was a difference. I, you know, I think it's negligible what that difference is, but God was specific that this is... Uh, a perfect weight for the temple okay uh, but i do think it's about a half an ounce okay okay and the yahweh spoken to moshe saying you shall also make a kior it's interesting to me that he makes the altar and then he sticks this right in the middle and then we make the c all right you gotta pass it up yeah the kior of brass, that's that basin. That's mm -hmm. a big brass bowl in the temple where they will wash. It goes between the tent and the altar and you'll put water in it. I think my picture has that mm -hmm. in it. Mm -hmm. Look way down at the bottom. You see it over here? Mm -hmm. That's the kior. All right. Um, the second temple and Solomon's temple made some modifications to what you're seeing in the tabernacle. They wouldn't have had this at the tabernacle, right? This big fountain looking thing, this pump looking thing. Right. They wouldn't, they wouldn't have had that because it's a mobile tabernacle. But they were able to build this when they built the temple. Okay. Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet there. When they go into the tent of meeting, they shall wash with water that they die not. When they come near to the altar to minister, to cause a carbon of fire, an offering of fire to smoke unto Yahweh, so shall they wash their hands and their feet that they die not. And it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generations. Now, it's something to bring up because we had a conversation about this recently. Everything that they did had to be done in cleanliness. Now, I personally believe there was a twofold reason for that. I think on the practical, everybody knows that germs are spread if you don't wash, right? Mm -hmm. 
And in all likelihood, they probably had to wash between each offering. And I don't know how they did it in the practical. I don't know that we're given the, the details, but look at the picture again. Look at how many people are there. There's people over here. It looks like maybe waiting to give their offering or maybe it's up here already. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. You've got... You've got all kinds of priests in here. All of these are Levites that do the musician, but you've got priests out here. You see the red belts? Mm -hmm. Okay. So how the practicality of how they walked everybody through who was bringing an offering every day, I don't know. Um, each course of Kohanim served for a week at a time. Um, it's 24 courses. So I think, yeah, it's a week at a time, twice a year. Mm -hmm. All right. And then all of them, all of them were there. This looks like it might be a feast because all the Kohanim were there during each hug. Everybody got that? Mm -hmm. So on a daily basis, there may not have been as many offerings brought, but you still had a whole course of priests there who had to serve and they had to eat. And so in my mind, a family brings an animal, one priest takes them and goes and washes and he does the thing and he, he, he does the ceremony and then he gets that animal and the next priest takes the next family. Are you with me? Mm-hmm. In. so i'm just trying to work out the 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 logic of how it might have happened because all the priests had to eat right yeah yep and we read it where when a person brings an offering the offering part of it is for the family of that man who brought the offering and there were very specific parts for the priest and his family okay one priest could not possibly eat every single offering <laughs> that came into the temple that day so mm -hmm. uh, I just wanted you to think about that, that this is what's going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. So they had to wash their hands and their feet that they die not. So that threat right there is not to me sickness. That threat right there is holiness. You understand what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So if they neglected to wash, then they might not make it out of the temple. Um, what if we took being at synagogue that seriously in regard to our souls? Well, things might be a little bit more reverent, a little more, make things a little bit more special. Why are we here? What are we doing? Exactly. Exactly. And that's that's something that I'm praying for and trying to figure out how to lead people into is that without making it overbearing and, and I hate to use the word legalistic, but at the same time being very reverent about what we're doing. And um, what comes to mind here is Hananya and Sapira. Remember them? Yep. What happened to them? When they bought their um, when they they bought their portion, 
they kind of lied and said that that was all they had, and they actually only skimmed some of it. They don't, lied. Don't you think that that could equate to uncleanness of a sort? Deception. Yeah, deception. That's uncleanness. Mm-hmm. On a spiritual level, that's that's corruption. That's right. dirtiness. That's filth. When we lie, it's okay. sin. <laughs> it's absolutely it was sin and it was so so egregious a sin that they dropped dead now god hasn't done that i've never seen him do that i've seen opportunities where he could have and had i been god it might have happened <laughs> <laughs> thank god you ain't god <laughs> exactly um but my point is is that that's the kind of reverence that god wants when we assemble you know and Yeshua, of course, is the all-loving and the all-forgiving Savior of the world, but he was the one who was in the sanctuary when Hananiah and Sapira keeled over, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and, and I'm not, I'm, I don't want to use that to try to motivate people i'm just wanting to for people to see how reverent we should be and how very aware of mm-hmm. our spiritual condition when we come into the sanctuary all right well, you know, even i'm sorry but i'll say even our daily prayers everything that we do like a lot of times we have a, a way to i won't say marginalize but we got a way to make things or to view things in a very irreverent manner we just get lackadaisical we just take it for granted we just and it's very hard sometimes to to keep that up but understanding who he is and what he is and and why we're doing it i mean it's uh it's got to be in the forefront of our mind or else why are we doing it exactly and that that brings me to and that's exactly what i was about to bring up was the daily prayers that's and what i was going to say is that's why we do them is to try to keep us in a state of reverence before god and 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 an awareness that we we just talked about you know this is the priest washing and then we talked about the atonement money which was to atone for the soul of the person coming in. And that word was atone there, and it was the soul they were atoning for. So that's at a deeper level than their body, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. And then God is saying, if the priests don't wash when they're bringing an offering, they're going to die. All right. Um, the reverence that we need to have for what we do when we worship, <clears throat> I think needs to be at a very high level. Um, Does that mean that we can't be jocular when we're standing around before service starts? No, absolutely not. I believe that God's people are a happy people. But when it comes time to begin the the order of worship, which is ordered after heaven, and hopefully you guys have figured that out about our services, what we do in our synagogue assembly is ordered, it's fashioned after what goes on in heaven. And this, so is this, this, this temple that we're reading about, it's fashioned after what goes on in heaven, right? So we are approaching the king of the universe every single Shabbat. And really when we're doing our daily prayers, we are approaching the king of the universe. Mm -hmm. And we as Americans don't understand what it, what it's like to walk into a a king's court. We've thrown off the king, you know? 
we, we're like fully with you. And, and so in some ways, especially among Protestants, I think we're very irreverent at times when we assemble. Um, I had a Catholic person tell me that that's one of the reasons they did not like to go to Protestant churches is because it was very irreverent. And that really made me think this was 38 years ago, but that really, really made me think, you know, that that's kind of true, you know? And of mm -hmm. course in Southern Baptist congregations, 50 years ago, there was a modicum of reverence, you know? Uh, but in the last 25 to 30 years, to me, that's kind of diminished. Betsy? Um, them, so the, what you're talking about washing makes me think about Yeshua before um, his Pesach when he was washing their feet. And Peter mm -hmm. said, not me. And he said, no, you will have no part of me if I don't do this. Exactly. Very good. Yeah. Um, we have to be. And of course, he only washed their feet, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what you're seeing in this washing here. They're not taking a bath. They're not redoing an immersion. They're washing their extremities, their hands and their feet, what they're using to do the offerings. And that was similar to what Yeshua was saying to them. It's, you are already clean. But, and, and I think of the analogy that, okay, you're clean, but you've walked in the world all day, right? You've been exposed to the sinful nature of man all day long. You know, Yeshua was not concerned about dirt between their toes. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. I mean, it was a practical thing, and it was a it was a thing of hospitality that they do in the Middle East for their guests to show them hospitality. And Yeshua was showing that, and he was showing uh, an attitude of service by diminishing self himself, taking taking his robe off and humbling himself like a servant and showing them hospitality, but at the same time, he didn't care about their dirty toes. You know, it's a little uncomfortable to have dirty feet. It feels good to have them clean, but that wasn't the overarching message. Otherwise, he wouldn't have told Kepha, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. So yeah, yeah it was very symbolic of, of being clean before you enter into, what was he about to do? What was Yeshua about to do? Form the Pesach with them. Exactly. Hand them the cup of the renewed covenant in his blood. Mm -hmm. Right? And they were they were going to have their hands washed during the Seder. So exactly. they really did have both their hands and their feet washed that night. That's right. That's right. In the Seder, there's, there is uh, two times to wash the hands, right? Mm -hmm. You should have took care of their feet first. And then, yeah, during the ceremony, they washed their hands and then they took that third cup, which was their, their atonement in his blood. Okay. So that's why all of this stuff that looks so mundane and blah, uh, when you read it, is to me very critical. Okay. All right, this next paragraph, if everybody's comfortable and we can move on, is the anointing oil. We, we alluded to this last week because we talked about the oil in the menorah, but this is the recipe for the anointing oil. 
So you'll see it has myrrh, um, kinamon cinnamon, calamus, cassia, and olive oil. So that's the recipe. That recipe in these measurements cannot be remade. So if you made it with some of these ingredients in different measurements, say lesser uh, amounts of the spices, then you wouldn't be breaking the, uh, the commandment not to make it for any other purpose. I would, I cannot wait to smell that. Because <laughs> as aromatic as it is with just frankincense and myrrh in it, I can't imagine what it must be with all this other stuff. It's a holy anointing oil, a perfume compounded, compounded after the art of a perfumer. You will anoint the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant, the table, all the vessels, the menorah and all its vessels, the altar of incense and the uh, burnt offering altar outside, all of them and the sea and its base. And when you anoint them, that is consecrating them so that they may, may be most holy, holy of holies. All right. Imagine the smell after yeah, Moshe yeah. went around doing that. <laughs> Whatever touches them shall be Kodesh. Has anybody ever anointed their house? Yes. For spiritual yeah. purposes. Yes. I've done it. Yes. And people might think I'm crazy, but I have noticed the benefit. Mm -hmm. Anybody right. else? Yep. Yes. All right. So anything that touches it shall be Kodesh, shall be consecrated. All right. So it's not a bad idea. And someone might ask, well, what periodicity would you do it? What regularity would you do it? When you notice things are off, I guess. Right. Certainly when you first move in. <laughs> Certainly when you first move in. But when you notice things are off, when corruption has been brought in, you know. Right. Um, yeah, I was up, I happened to be watching a movie. Um, I didn't know what the movie was about, to be honest. I just added on and and it was and the lady was conjuring up demons and the witch, and I'm like, whoa we're not watching this and then i immediately I, I didn't anoint it but i did pray and and ask for a closing of any door that may have been open because yep. that that was definitely demonic yeah so, so we talked about too on on a previous study about uh the lay on the hands you know be careful who you touch and who you even shake hands with that's probably even more doubly like be careful who we bring into our homes. Yes. Yeah. You absolutely. really don't know some things sometimes. Absolutely. And we're told not to bring anyone into our house who is following Mashiach Hashekir. Not to even let them across the threshold is almost the way it's worded. I forget where that is. I think it's third John. It's it's one through three of John. I'm not hundred percent sure if someone wants to try to find that, but we're told not to even bring them into our house. And so that's a very good point. Um, we are Meshiachim. 
which means we are messianic people. We, we are people of the anointing. And so going back to uh, talking about when we assemble and how reverent we need, we need to be, all of that is sort of, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, contingent upon the presence of Messiah being there. And, and that's the desire, that's the purpose of it. And so we've talked about this before, uh, where two are gathered, two or more are gathered in my name, I will be in their midst. Well, in my name is more than just sticking a flag up that says Jesus. It's more than just calling on Yeshua. It's being in his character. It's uh -huh. uh, walking in his reputation. Remember, Shem means reputation more than it does name appellation right it's not just what you're called it's who you are in the in the concept of hebrew all right so when we are a symbol in and because of his character that's the anointing all right and that's what that's what we desire you know i pray it i don't know if you catch it but every week just about every week when we're signing off from this study that's what i pray is we want you to be there when we get there on Shabbat. Anybody ever notice that? Did I say that every week? Yep. Mm -hmm. All right. That's a genuine desire of mine. It's Thursday. We got two days to go. We've almost made it through the week. We're going to assemble. I want Yeshua to be there. I don't, I, I'm not just getting together because it's right. what cool Jews do. Amen. Amen. You know, and, and honestly, I think that Messianic people have sort of lost the concept of mm -hmm. the spirit of God being with us. Yes. yes. Um, the, the, messianic people tend to have a, a tendency to throw the baby out with the bathwater. They think that everything that Christians did was wrong. And so let's not do anything that even looks halfway Christian. And uh, there are some, I have been in some very powerful events among Christians that were very, were, where Yeshua was. Mm -hmm. anybody else yes sir yes so uh i, I don't Absolutely. Want to, i don't want to keep him out the door just because we don't want to be christian mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying yeah um i want his presence there and i do believe that a lot of christians are very irreverent the way they dress the way they act uh but my job is not to fix them. My job is to fix me and us. Right. Oh, man. <laughs> so uh, I, we, can, we can talk about us and we in, in regard to behavior. Somebody posted uh, Yochanan, 2 John 1.10. That's the verse. And I'm pretty sure that's actually it. So if you want to look that up, we can, let's just go look at it. Oops. What happened? If anyone comes to you and does not bring this Torah, do not welcome him to your house, neither say shalom, for he who bids him shalom is a partaker of his evil. So let's look at who that is. All right. 
Many deceivers have appeared in the world who do not acknowledge that Yeshua HaMashiach has come in the flesh. Such a person is a deceiver and an opposer of the Messiah. Look to yourselves that you lose not those things which you have accomplished, but that you receive a full reward. Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the Torah of Messiah does not have Elohim. He who abides in his Torah has both Ha'av and Haben, the Father and the Son. So again, the spirit of Mashiach HaSheker, the false Messiah, is anyone that denies that Yeshua is right now in flesh. All right? And, they, and our, our Jewish people, the rabbis, do that. If anyone comes to you and does not bring that law, that Torah, where Yeshua is the embodiment of the Torah, and without him you cannot have God, if anyone brings that to you, do not welcome him into your house. Neither don't even say shalom to him. That's holy moly right there. <laughs> no joke. If you ask me. Yeah. Yeah. For he who bids, if you even wish him peace, you're a partaker of his works. Wow. Now, is Jacob off course here? Or Yochanan, is he off course here? Is John off course here? Is, does he not know what he's talking about? <laughs> is he too harsh? No. <laughs> Because what oh. you do ain't. What's that? So if you bring something in your midst that is not of Elohim, it will leave, it taints. It taints. That's right. That's why mm -hmm. when one person leaves Messiah, others leave behind them. That's why is because you are partaking with them when you entertain it. You might think you're stronger than that. I've seen too many good people go down, people who said they never would. You know, I, I, I keep going back. There's one person that came up to me. You know, I wrote the song, Yeshua, You Are, and that person would come up to me just about every other week or anytime we would play it. You know, oh, I can't believe you wrote that. It's such a beautiful song. That is such a beautiful song. Oh, I just love to sing that song. Don't even believe in Yeshua anymore. Well, because they were hanging around rabbis, going and having, you know, worked. I, I'm not going to say what industry this person worked in, but it was an industry that is laden with Jews. And I'm not saying that in a bad way. Lots of Jews in that industry. And just got enamored by them and no longer believes in Yeshua. Do not be a partaker. Don't even say shalom to him. Does it? Does that mean that I'm not, not going to say shalom to a rabbi? What What is the context of this? Do not do not come into unity with one. Go deeper. Look at the text. It's almost like you you co-sign that their belief, or you're okay with it. At, at least that's what it made me think about. That is what it's saying. But I'm, what I'm asking is, when do we cross the line? Because I will say shalom to a rabbi walking down the street. But when do I cross the line? To come into your home. Yeah. Very good. Sure. Anyone who comes to you. Oh, okay. Do not let him into your house. All right. 
they can come into your house by your television. That's right. That's true. Can they not? Yeah. They can. And your phone. And, and your, your YouTube. Phone and your iPad. <laughs> and that's usually yeah. the most important mm -hmm. way because we we typically don't well I typically don't let a bunch of people just come into the house, but if that TV's on, you've got to really watch it. And he's also yep. warning, uh, watch out, don't lose what you've worked for. You want mm -hmm. to have your full reward. So, I mean, it's not just like some sort of like uh, you're holier than thou. He's actually being protective exactly. of, his, of his readers. Exactly. And, and I'm glad you said that because this is why I reiterate this over and over again. It's not because I don't, I don't want people to leave Daniel. I'm, oh my gosh, if I was numbers centric, I would have quit a long time ago. We've never had a lot of numbers. Mm -hmm. All right. It's about you lose yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that people approach either unbelievers or believers in different doctrine or the rabbis, for instance, thinking I'm going I'm to change them. I'm going to show them my way. And then the opposite ends up happening. Exactly. I it's had, so dangerous. Dana's one time, and you all know Dana, she's still sick. She comes in once in a while. But when she led Bible studies, she made an analogy that I never forgot. And that was, if you take a white glove and drop it in the mud, is the mud going to get glovier and white? Or is your white glove going to get muddier? Your white glove's going to get muddy. Right. So when you go in and you, you think that you can change people, you have to realize that very often it's very, you have to be very careful that you do not end up being in the muck and the mire with them versus them, you, them pu pulling them out. That's right. You know, That's it's kind of, it's kind of like being on a barge on these gigantic barges that transport, you know, a thousand cars or 10,000 tra tractor trailers or whatever. And we think that we're on, we're on one barge and we think that we're going to say something and change the other barge with it's not, these are huge monolithic things. A body of Mashiach is one thing and the other stuff is another. Exactly. And look at look at how look at how Shaul Paul talked to the Galatians about that big issue. And this book, everybody knows that Peter said, be careful about reading Paul's works because they're hard to understand. And many people are destroying themselves because they don't understand the scriptures, nor Paul's writings. And that's my paraphrase. All right. But he says, I'm surprised how soon you have turned to another good news. So that's a false gospel right uh -huh. away from the messiah who has called you by his compassion a good news a gospel which does not even exist in other words people are saying it but in the reality of it it's not good news at all all right howbeit there are men who have stirred you up and want to pervert habesorah mouthful betsy just brought it up the body of messiah they want to pervert the body of messiah the good news of Messiah, of his body, Besorah, flesh, right? Mm -hmm. But though we or a messenger from heaven declare any other gospel to you than that which we have declared to you, let him be accursed. 
as I've said before, so say I now again, if any man declares any other Besorah to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Accursed. Yeah. And, you know, what was the gospel that people were bringing to the Galatians? Who remembers? They had to Judaism. You had to be, you, you, Messiah aside, you still needed to be circumcised in order to enter in. In order to be saved. Mm -hmm. yes. Which was a rabbinic law and still is a rabbinic law. It was already a rabbinic law in the time of Yeshua. That argument had already been going on. And the Messianic community in Galatia, which is multiple cities in central Turkey. All right. That that the congregations had been established there for a little while and Jewish people came to them and said, you must be circumcised to be saved. All right. So they're putting the weight of the law on them for salvation. There are many people in the Messianic community doing that. And it gives us, it makes our job harder and harder and harder because there's so many of them out there decrying Christianity altogether and condemning anyone who does not do it their way and saying, you must, you must, you must do. You do not have to do the Torah. <laughs> You're going to if you love God. And, and many believers do, they just don't realize they're doing it. Are you with me? Mm -hmm. and yeah they're not doing it absolutely fully. they're not yeah. doing it fully but they they're doing the meatier weightier things of the Torah, like love and compassion and mercy and justice that i you know messianic people are some of the most judgmental and hateful people i've ever met to be honest and and uh that's what's going on here is that they are putting the weight they were putting the weight of the law on people they were they were putting that on their salvation we've never done that i've never done it i've tried to make it abundantly clear that you can't do that okay you should be keeping the torah for because it is what god wants you to do and it expresses your love for him simple Amen. that's it you know but other messianic people get very condemning and judgmental about it when someone doesn't do what they think they ought to do. And that is so against Yeshua. Mm -hmm. All right. So uh, do I seek to please men? If I wanted to please men, I would not be a servant of Messiah. But I want you to know that the gospel, which I declared, was not from men. Amen. All right. And you have to study what Paul preached. And you can do that without reading one of his letters. Did, did he preach in his letters? Yes. No, he didn't. No? No. He was writing his letters to correct the congregations. When okay, did he preach? That feels like preaching to me. <laughs> okay, pardon. He preached in the book of Acts. And you can see what he preached. Yes, he echoes what he taught in his letters, and he tries to expound and explain, but that's not preaching. Preaching is for the lost. Oh. All right. 
what I declared was not from men. I didn't receive it or learn it from man, nor through the but through the revelation of Yeshua Hamashiach. And so you have to look at Acts chapter 9, uh, 13 and 14 primarily, and then all of his trials. He preached at his trials. And you'll see, just like Joe pointed out a while ago, you'll see he declared himself to be a Torah keeper multiple times in front of Jewish people. But at the same time, he said, I'm saved by my faith alone. Right? Yes, he did. Okay, so we came over here because we were talking about anointing. And I guided you to the false anointing that we are told to keep out of our houses because we don't want to corrupt the house that we live in, right? All right. And so bad gospels corrupt, do they not? Absolutely. They do. And so this aroma of this anointing oil to me is very unique. And God made it very special. And he anointed the whole house and everything in it, right? You shall anoint Aaron and his sons, consecrate them that they may minister unto me in the Cohen's office. This shall be Shemin Mishchat Kodesh. Somebody translate that. Shemin Mishchat Kodesh. Well, holy oil. Um, you got two parts of it. I know the mishchat. I'm not sure what that mishkan. Yes, I know mishchat. Mishchat. Anybody? Called holy. Holy presence from the holy presence. Nope. Shemin is shemin rooted in the word shem, obviously. No. Oil. No. Okay. Shemin is oil. Okay. So we so far we have holy oil, but what's that middle word? So Mishkan is the temple, right? It's not Mishkan. This is Mishchat. I didn't know. If I was say Chat. I think of Chata'ah, which is. Don't try to do that. You can't. <laughs> okay. It's anointing. Mishchat. Anointing of. Oh man. Anointing of. Okay. Mishchat. Anointing of. This shall be. The anointing of holy oil or the oil of holy anointing. Where you at? I'm right here. Where are you at? I'm so sorry, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> Talking to my puppy. <laughs> Upon the flesh of man it shall not be poured, neither shall you make any like it according to the composition thereof. Now, back up to what... Joe said a while ago about smicha and not to be quick about it. Remember that? Mm -hmm. Don't just willy-nilly go lay hands on everybody. I see believers doing that all the time. They'll walk up to somebody and, and, and lay hands on them and don't even know the person, don't know anything about them, just walking around laying hands on everybody, right? And, and if you're performing smicha for the purpose of spiritual transference of any kind then you could be violating this could you not 
Yes. Hmm? Don't just pour it on any flesh. Right? And so these spices, I wish we could take the time to look at the spices and everything that goes into it. Let's just look at it for fun for just a second, starting in verse 22. Besamim is the spice. Does that sound familiar, right? Roshmar. Roshmar. That's myrrh. Right? The best spices of myrrh. Look at dror. Anybody remember what dror is? So you have myrrh and the next one. Flowing myrrh. Flowing. Flowing. Dror is liberty, freedom. Oh. So you have mar which is myrrh, but it's just two letters, the mem and the resh, and freedom. The head of the people is freedom, you could say. All right? I, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to get bogged down into this. I was just betting that there was stuff that could point to Yeshua in these words, and right off the bat, there is. Right? Kinamon mm -hmm. is cinnamon. We could look at that, and I guarantee you we'd see something about Messiah in those letters. I can see it, but I'm not, I don't want to dwell on it. Maybe one day we'll come back and do that. The point being is that anointing oil is specifically talking about messianic. That's what anointing is. Do you see it? So when we read that before, yes. when it's, don't do this, you know, just don't administer to this. My, my sense was not only was it talking about the oil, but the action. Absolutely. And that's kind of what I'm driving at is because for us, the action is the movement of the spirit of God. All right. And people can experience and feel the spirit of God without him ever entering into them. Oh, yeah. And you could give them a false sense of security that they met God. They know God. They're saved. I'm saved. I've seen it happen a hundred times. Mm. Are you with me? You're saying you're saying that being uh, somebody experienced uh, being in the company of the Ruach and experiencing it on an outside level is not the same thing as um, being truly born again and having the Ruach inside. Bingo. Bingo. And, and that's the goal. And, and so, you know, I, I'm trying to be very judicious with my words here. Um, I've been around people who think they are ultra anointed and who think they can spot the, the anointing. Um, and I just think that they have a misconception of what that is. Um, people will hear a musician or a group of musicians 
playing a song and doing so very skillfully, and they think that's anointing, when in fact they're living an unrighteous life when they're not on stage performing, and that's really what it is, is performing. It's not anointing. And there are false anointings out there that belong to, we just read about it over in 2 John. There are false anointings. There are fake. First John also says it. There are fake anointings out there. Joe, what you got? Well, we're talking about the experiencing of Elohim without being part of Elohim. We've seen that already. Just all the the people of the of the nations who saw Abraham and his um, his, uh, his his offerings, his 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 sacrifices, and all the the events of the Exodus, we see, like they saw, they they in a sense experienced it from afar. They can some of them they, confessed it too, right? But that doesn't mean that they were God's people. Exactly, and that's kind of the point that I'm making is you know you have people who have a spiritual experience and they think, okay, I've had my moment with God, I'm good, I'm going to heaven. And in reality, they haven't been transformed. And the anointing that they felt might not actually have been God in the first place. But let's say it was. And some, some believer just haphazardly went around trying to save people and, and it, you know, spilled some of the anointing on them, but they didn't get it. Do you know what I mean? And my point being is we have to treat ministry itself as a holy thing. Oh. Isn't that what God is doing here with the Kohanim? That's exactly what he says. That's exactly what he's saying. Elizabeth, we have a new Elizabeth, everybody. I don't know if you've caught on to that. Hi. Hello. What you got? I guess, um, hi everyone. Um, thinking about Adam, when Adam, Adam, when Adam, um, that he was a priest, you know, he's a priest, but he helped to um, the Israelites to build the cow. And, <laughs> and, and, and you, and we think that this priest will have. Uh, he would, wouldn't take that action. The, he will be protected because he was practicing and he was selected as a priest. But in there, he was not, he was not even a leader for guiding the people in that moment, spiritual. Exactly. So exactly. So, so yeah, there's, there's many episodes of false anointings. As a matter of fact, all of the prophets Isaiah all the way through Malachi had to deal with false prophets. That's what a false prophet is, is someone walking around in a false anointing. And so it is rampant. And that's why John said, watch out, lest you lose your place. You know, um, upon the flesh of man shall it not be poured, neither shall you make any like it according to the composition thereof. It is Kurdish, it is holy, and it shall be holy unto you. Whoever compounds any like it or whoever puts any of it upon a stranger, he shall be cut off from his people. Cut off from his people. What does that mean? 
you are excommunicated. Does it? I, I don't know. I know when it says you will be buried with your people. Spiritual cutting off. Yeah. Nichrat me'amav. Cut off. It's two simple words. Nichrat. That's the past. That's the future tense, but it's inverted with the vav. Nichrat. He shall be cut off. That's severe. But and that doesn't mean severe. death. It's terrifying. Is it, does it mean a cut off from the blessings that the people have received from God? Absolutely. And it, it in, in the practical, because it's Israel that it's talking to on the Peshat level, in the practical, it's talking about leave the country. <laughs> Don't come back in this house. And that's dangerous. So like yeah. Joe said, excommunicated. Uh, well, yeah, excommunicated, but it could be even worse than that. We're going to visit that a little later. Um, does, it, does it mean, does it mean death? Like killed? It certainly could. It doesn't say that, but it could mean that on a deeper level. Yes, okay. absolutely. If you got if you got kicked out of the camp out there in that area, the chance of you not being killed by brigands or murderers or whatever is a dangerous place to be outside of the camp, yep. away from any people that you're connected to. Yep, absolutely. All right. Take sweet spices, stack tea, Annika, Gabinum. I have no idea what those are. Um, I don't even know if if Israel does today. They probably do, or they may have they may have think that they figured out what those are. I decided to put the transliteration so that we are very specific about what it is and not end up with a bad translation. You know what I mean? Okay, so that's actually what they are. It should be uh, sweet spices with pure frankincense. So each of these must be sweet, right? In scent aroma along with frankincense, equal weight, make it incense, a perfume after the art of the perfume, perfumer, seasoned with salt, pure and holy. Beat some of it very small and put it before the edut. What is the edut? Who remembers? Testimony. The testimony. testimony, very good, Jim. The arc of the testimony, ultimately. In the tent of meeting where I will meet with you. It shall be unto you most holy. You'll make it according to the composition thereof, and you shall not make for yourselves. In other words, you can't have this in your house. It shall be unto you holy for Yahweh, set apart for Yahweh. So that recipe is set apart. What you put in the temple is set apart. Um, you're not going to bring it in your house. It's not for you. It's for God, right? When I read this before, I, I, it, it, and I just uh, did the same again, puts a whole different perspective on the men, the, the two that were killed because they brought in strange incense. That's right. Because he's so specific about what it is, where it goes. Who when you do it, why you do it. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Whoever shall make the like unto it, the smell thereof shall be, and there it goes, cut off from his people. What happened to those two men? They were killed. They were struck down. Maybe that's what cut off means. Hmm. Looks like it to me. Could be eternal. Oh, God have mercy. Yeah. Right? Uh, the point of all of this is, is the anointing is sacred. <laughs> Worshiping God is sacred. Um, coming before him is fearful. Uh, Hanania and Sapira died because they fudged a little bit on their tax returns. <laughs> you know, they, they kept a little bit of the money for themselves, but said they gave it all, you know, harmless. You know, nobody knows. And they died. God doesn't go around killing us for our infractions, but he set an example for us to show us how serious it was, right? Well, and mm -hmm. I think that this also kind of tells me that it's very rare. It's very rare to be anointed. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And so I, I personally believe that every true believer in Messiah has the an anointing his presence but yes there are measures of it clearly and there are people who are anointed for a very particular task in the kingdom and some people just like to assume that role without the anointing in my, as a matter of fact i think a lot of people just assume the role without the anointing and they just think that god you know most do yeah god picked me for this you know, I'm just as smart as the next guy. I'm better than that guy. I could do this job, you know, and they weren't anointed to do it. And they might look like they would succeed and they might pick up a false anointing along the way. Right. Joe. Well, we see examples like let's look at Moshe. Let's look at some of the prophets and stuff. A lot of them didn't want that anointing. They didn't want to do this stuff. It's not something they're like, hey, look at me. I'm going to do this. No, God said, you're doing this. I'm anointing you to do that. And like Moshe, Moshe didn't want it. Exactly. You know? And so it's not something that we, yeah, we seek it. And but, they didn't go seeking it. seek it for their own reasons. Most of the prophets did not go seeking it. God came to them. I think, I think that people who are anointed are not seeking it. Right. <laughs> Exactly. Um, yeah, God picks whom he anoints for very particular roles. Um, but in the modern community of faith, most of the time, I really believe it's people picking themselves for the role mm -hmm. and thinking that they're anointed. And then passing the role off to their children. Yep. So, well, yep. Any impassioned speech, like you said a while ago, uh, a, a skilled musician. An impassioned speech. Uh, I mean, people can you can practice that quote unquote anointing. Yeah. Oh yeah. I, I'll, I'll I'll tell the story again. It might have been recently that I did it, but um, just to prove that point, um, I was just gotten out of the navy. I was on my voyage home from from South Georgia to Texas. 
I had the radio on in about the Florida panhandle on a, on a Friday, on a Thursday or a Friday. And I heard a message. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And it, it was a, it was a clever little sermon, you know, and the, the preacher said, I was hearing it on the radio. The preacher said that phrase it's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And it, very impassioned, like you said, Joe, very impassioned. And it, you know, it just sounded, oh, it was so wonderful. All right. And then about two months later, I'm in Texas. I've been there for a while. I've been here for a while, I should say. And I decided I wanted to look up some of my old friends that I went to school with over in Saratoga. And I drive over there. I go to church. And a guy that I went to high school with got up to preach. I was like, oh, cool. I never would have thought ever. I loathed that person in high school. <laughs> I never ever would have thought he would have been a preacher. And he gets up there and word for word gave that exact same sermon. Whoa. Almost mm. the inflection was the same. Um, and and I, I started watching preachers, especially in the charismatic world, and they emulate one another and they trade sermons and they practice their cadence and their delivery and they say it in certain ways. And it's all very hypnotic. And, and I do believe that it's a false anointing in many cases. And so, uh, yeah, you got to be careful. And, it, and if they are believers and they're going around just throwing it everywhere, you know, it's, I think you guys get the drift, right? Yep. That dude was anointed with the gift of plagiarism. Exactly. <laughs> well, it goes on all the time. They download sermons uh, that yeah. people will take Charles Spurgeon sermons, which were all written down, and take the the lofty Middle English out, late Middle English, out of it, and make it a little more Americanized, and spew the same message, and claim it as their own. You know, um, um, that kind of thing sets me off. You know, I don't think that's anointing when you borrow someone else's sermon. Absolutely not. You know, and, and especially naming it as your own and acting it out. That's just doing the job. That's just huh? doing That's just doing Anybody could do that. Yeah. Well, what I'm hearing from you today is that whereas so often in our in in our believing walk or you know in the greater community of of faith or whatever people focus on uh, acting holy in all kinds of ways that are not necessarily really important uh i don't drink and i don't chew and i don't go with girls that do but but what the scriptures <laughs> right yeah but what the scriptures is telling us is that our worship to Abba is what is where we need to uh, keep our seriousness and our, our, you know, I don't know the, the Kodesh, the, the holiness, the things that we're looking at here, that's to be careful on those things and to be kind and gentle with one another on, on some of the other. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can ask for a better nutshell summation. So with that, we'll move on. Um, I have called my, I love this because we just saw the oil of anointing. And I want you to see this. I've Yahweh spoken to Moshe saying, 
si ראה ראה si קראתי בשם בצלל בן אורי בן חור למטה יהודה I have called בצלל by name בצלל בן אורי בן חור of the tribe of יהודה I have filled him with the Ruach of Elohim. So here is a man who is being filled with the Ruach right after we get this oil mm -hmm. of anointing recipe and the spice recipe. And then we see this, this guy being filled with the Ruach of Kodesh. And people say that the Holy Spirit was brand new in the New Testament. All right. And here we have a person by the will of God alone being filled with the Ruach of Kodesh. Right? I have filled him with the Ruach of Elohim in wisdom and understanding. Two of the spirits that are on the menorah of the spirit in Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. Right? Yep. Bina and Chokhmah, wisdom and understanding. And Da'at, there's the, a third one, mm -hmm. also on the menorah. Right? Also listed in Isaiah 11, 1 and 2. And in all manner of workmanship to devise skillful works to work in gold, silver, and brass. Now, this anointing that he's giving him is for physical, tangible labor for building the, the, the Mishkan, the tabernacle. All right. In the cutting of stones for setting and in the carving of wood to work in all manner of workmanship. And here again, and I behold, verse 6. Behold, I have appointed with him Oholiav. I have appointed with him Oholiav, ben Achisamach, of the tribe of Dan. And in the hearts of all that are wise-hearted, I have put wisdom that they may make all that I have commanded you. So Chochmah was in all of them. Wisdom to do the labor of building the Mishkan. To make the tent of meeting, the Ark of the Covenant, the kaporet, the, the atonement seat, the furnishings of the tent of meeting, the shulchan, the table and its vessels, the menorah with its vessels, the mizbeach of incense, and the, the altar of incense, the altar of the olah with all its vessels, the, the kior, the brass basin, all the plated garments and the holy garments for Aaron the Kohen and the garments of his sons to minister in the Kohen's office and the anointing oil and the incense of sweet spices for HaKodesh According to all that I have commanded you, shall they do. So everything that we've just read about in regard to building the Mishkan, God has now put the anointing to physically do it in two men and some others. But Betzalel is the chief of them. All right. So God is the one who anointed them to build the Mishkan. So it hasn't been built yet. We've been reading about all these things on how they are supposed to be built. We've been, basically been given the blueprint. And now God is giving skill to people to actually make those things from the blueprint. Comments? Questions? I'm going to back up. I want to go over this incense. We didn't, I meant to do it and I got too excited. Uh,
Where is the incense? There's the kior. Here's the anointing oil. There it is. You guys know this, the incense. Put it before the edut, Neil Moed, where I will meet with you. Where is that? What does it go on? Altar of incense. The altar of incense is if you if you see my tiny picture, it's the smoke over my left shoulder. Right? You guys see that? Mm -hmm. Okay. The altar of incense. What is that? What is that representing? So if if the anointing oil is representing the anointing of a sire, what is the incense? You should know this. I just Prayers. want to Huh? Prayers. 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 Very good. The prayers, which are which are have a which have another aroma before God, right? So besamim, you know, the spices. When do we do that every week? Havdalah. And Havdalah. All right. So we begin the week with prayers for the body. Is everybody doing that? Melanie and I are faithful about that. 99% yes. of the time we're, we're doing Havdalah. And immediately the first thing we do after we have smelled the incense, which is the last thing that you do in the ceremony other than drink the wine, right? Finish the wine and put it out the light. The last thing you do is smell the spices. And then the first thing we do is turn around and pray. So our, that is our sacrifices, that our prayers, our daily prayers, and beginning the week with prayers like that is, is our sacrifices, and that goes up before God as an aroma. Does anybody remember where we can see that and be emphatic about that, and me, it's not just me guessing and being all crazy Jew? Anybody remember? The no, good. That's not the one I'm looking for because it doesn't say that. It just says they had a Havdala ceremony. Right. That's there might not be something in Psalms. No, I'm talking about living it out. And it is in the brief Hadashah. Hmm. You were right when you said the book of Acts, Tracy. Hannah's not in a brief Hadashah, dear. Oh. Acts chapter 10. It was in Caesarea a man called Cornelius, a centurion of the regiment, who, which is called Italian, and he was righteous and feared Elohim, as did all his household. So this guy was a Gentile who lived in Caesarea, which is on the coast, there in Israel was a soldier, a Roman soldier who was a Gentile, but he believed in God, the creator, for lack of a better word, the God of the Jews, right? Him and his whole household, they had converted. They were righteous Gentiles. All right. 
he gave alms to the people abundantly and always sought after Elohim. So he gave his money to people and sought God. So this is a man who seems to love God, right? Seems to be genuine. Mm -hmm. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw a messenger of God who came in unto him and said, Cornelius. And he looked at the Malach and was afraid. And he said, what is it, my Adon? And the Malach said to him, your prayers and your alms have come up before me, a memorial before Elohim. You see what I'm talking about? Yes. That's the incense. Mm -hmm. And then, of course, we have the bowls of incense that the, that the Kedoshim hold over in the book of Revelation, which literally calls the incense the prayers of the, of the holy ones. Mm -hmm. All right. So that's what we're talking about here. That incense is, is symbolic of prayers, and it was burned at the time of the prayers in the temple. Can I read that, Daniel? Can you what? Can I read that? Read what? It says, um, and from Hitgalut uh, chapter 8, verse 3, and another Malak came instead of the Mitzbayak, and he had the golden censer, and abundant incense was given to him, um, and the cloud of the incense, the prayers of the Kedashim ascended up before Elohim. Exactly what you just said. Absolutely. So, yeah, that's what the incense in the temple represented was the prayers, and it was lit while Israel was praying. The priests had to pray three times a day at certain times, and we see that when Zechariah goes in to actually be the one to burn the incense, right? And he sees a messenger. So Cornelius is in the ninth hour of the day, and he saw a messenger. Ninth hour of the day, if I'm remembering right, is six o'clock in the morning, right around dawn, if I'm remembering right. Am I right? The sixth hour. I'd have to check. I used to know those off the top of my head, the ninth versus our clock, but I think it's six o'clock in the morning. All right. Um, so it might be earlier than that. I just have to look. But nonetheless, it could be a time of prayer that he's doing that and he sees this messenger. All right. Um, the point being is that everything in this temple is symbolic of our spiritual life. We're in 31 now, right? Yeah. All right, so he's called Bezalel and Oholiav and anointed them to be wise-hearted, to make everything that is needed in the temple. All of the stuff that we just read about, they're going to make, including the, the Cohen's garments all the way down to the spices. Speak also unto Bnei Israel, the sons of Israel, saying. So this is interesting to me. He gives them all the instructions, then he literally gives them the power to do it. And then look what it says. You shall keep my Sabbaths. For it is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I am Yahweh who sets you apart. 
you shall keep my Sabbaths as a sign that you may know that I'm the one who set you apart. Go a little deeper with that, somebody. You've you've spoken before that that when we want more ruach, more of the ruach hakodesh, that we need to obey more. That is through obedience of the Torah that we grow in the ruach. And he's saying. You keep those Sabbaths, you will know better that it is I that sets you apart. Right, that you may know that I. So us keeping the Sabbath, we're not the ones setting ourselves apart. Yes. He sets us apart. He's the one doing it because we have decided to do what he said to do. A lot of people take pride in their keeping of the Sabbath. Right? I'm obeying God, I'm me, I'm special, I'm set apart, I'm holy. You ain't nothing unless God did it for you. That's right. You're going to keep my Sabbaths, but it's me. I'm the one who sets you apart. It is a sign. Trying to find that in the Hebrew. That's verse 13. Ot. Okay. Yep. Ot. Ki ot hu. Okay. Et Shabbatai tishmeru ki ot hu. Beni. That means between me and between you. It's redundant. When you say between in Hebrew, you have to say it between me and between you. You say, you say it both times. All right. B'nai, between. All right. In your generations that you may know that I, Yehovah, I set you apart. I'm the one who makes you holy. All right. Therefore, B'nai Yisrael, you guys know this one, right? Shall keep the Shabbat. To observe the Shabbat for an eternal breed, it is a sign between me and B'nai Yisrael forever. For in six days, the Yahweh made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day, he ceased from work and rested. And that right there is why we say Veshamru every week, and hopefully you're thinking about this when we say it, is because he created us and he rested. And I personally believe one of the biggest scourges on the community of faith is evolution and the notion that the, the earth is, is somehow mm -hmm. responsible for its own existence. All right, I just read it today in sort of a secondhand article. And I don't mean that as a, as a disparagement against the article that I looked at, but somebody was writing about another person's article. And it was very astute because it said that evolutionists actually create a deity of their own, sort of a pantheism of their own, because they have to admit that something else 
participated in created the, creating the earth and bringing about the earth. There has to have been something of an outside force. They won't say God. Mm. So they attribute it to the universe, which is, of course, lock, locking step with new age junk, right? Um, one of the reasons I think that God wants his people to keep his Sabbath is to start declaring the creation again. We have the, the believing community has gone away from declaring God as the creator. And I think it's in compromise with the scientific community because they're so smart. <laughs> Thoughts? Yeah, like I texted you the other night. You can't watch or read anything pertaining to just about anything where someone doesn't bring up something about the evolution of man. Well, humans evolved to do this, and it's because we evolved to do that that we do. Like, no, dude, that's how we were designed. That's how we were created. Yeah, well, even in dog food commercials, your dog descended from, you know, the wolves of from over millions of years. No, God made a dog. God made a wolf same design it's like it's like ford designed the focus and the lincoln continental you know two entirely different things made by the same maker that's why they kind of look alike <laughs> right, right. Mm -hmm. but you know they have to push that they have to push that idea so that we can begin to think that we came from nothing that we we're just an accident because then Only we don't have to answer to god we don't have to answer to God, and and it's easier for for them to control us in the sense that that they can create a, an amoral people. That right. now you can do whatever you want to do. Right. And, and yeah, relative morality. You know, you make up your own morality. You know, we we all came from the same place. You know, we're the we're the fittest, and we we survived, so we we deserve the right to make up our own morality. It's casting off God. And, and unfortunately, yep. Christianity bowed to that. When the Scopes monkey trials were over, Christianity just took a bow, took a knee and said, we give up. You know, we got, now we got to find ways to make the scriptures fit that narrative. That's Scopes what they monkey done. trials? Yes. Yeah. That's, that's in reference to like evolution? Yes. Evolving? Humans evolving from apes? Like? Yeah. The Scopes okay. monkey trials back in the 1920s, uh, I think it was in Tennessee, um, a school district said, we're going to teach evolution. And the, the Christians in the neighborhood were up in arms. And so it went all the way to the Supreme Court, if I'm not mistaken. And get, Dr. Henry M. Morris participated in it on the other side. He was an evolutionist. Mm -hmm. And the end result of that is that all of a sudden evolution was being taught in schools. All right. Um, and... Christianity took a bow, took a knee, gave up, you know, and scientists who existed at the time who may have also believed in God just said, okay, let's work out the logic, you know, and Henry yeah. Morris was, was among them. And of course, later he turned around and, and realized he was mistaken and he created the, the Institute for creation, creation research. What you got Shelly? Well, I was just wondering if anybody is familiar with Noah Harari who is associated with the WEF? Yep. 
There it was, yeah, Eva and I were kind of communicating about that. I think I know what you're talking about. Go ahead. Yeah, so he's taking it one step further and he's saying, oh no, we are going to be the gods of men. Like we don't need something in the clouds and we can data mine and yep. now we can do data mining under the skin. So, yeah. I mean, just totally draws you to that shot. I mean, there's just no mistake. Oh, yeah. Yep. No mistake. Yeah, it, it's, and that's where it's all going is, is to just kick God out of the public sphere, the public realm. And um, he said, we're going to be gods. We don't need that, whatever's in the yeah. cloud. Yeah. Uh, we all know that that's coming because, you know, you know, there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, good guys are going to win. Uh, I got news for you. <laughs> Not until Yeshua comes back. Right. You know, I mean, I would love to see it turn, at least in our country, but I don't expect it. Um, and the reason I say that is because people of faith are afraid to declare the creation and emphatically right. declare that God created the earth in six days. They won't say it. And they've capitulated and they've said, well, it's 6 million years or it's six day ages, or it's all this garbage. And no, multiple times in the scriptures, he says it right here. For in six days, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth. So you're going to rest on the seventh day. If those were day ages, then we wouldn't be resting until six million years from now. Exactly. <laughs> yes. And also it, it obfuscates the six days and then and takes away an important thing to help people to count their actions and their uh, their devotion to God, because he will be sending Yeshua back uh, yeah. at the end of the sixth millennium. Exactly. Or the beginning of the seventh. I'm not sure exactly how that is. In that dusk period. Mm -hmm. And he gave Moshe, when he made an end of speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, the two luchot, the tablets of the confession, or the testimony, written in stone with the finger of Elohim. Elizabeth, what you got? I uh, guess... Um reflecting about the Sabbath. Okay. And, and in Genesis um, 2 to 3, where I think it's the first time that appeared, the Sabbath, the word Sabbath, um, I went to look for keywords and I found blessed, so sanctify, he work, he create, and he accomplished. Yep. So I think it's like a model for us also. Absolutely. How we can manage our time, our lives. That's right. And and th this was something so beautiful for me because uh, I was trying to memorize, to memorize the, the verse, you know, memorize only, but then, when I found these words in there, and, and it, it was so beautiful. Yeah, and I'm glad you brought it up because, uh, and I don't know if you do what we do, but in our Sadur, this is the this is the second thing we do on Shabbat, right before we say the Veshamru. 
right? Um, so yeah, God finished making all his stuff, right? And on the seventh day, he finished work, the work of his making. And he rested on the seventh day. He, Vayishbot, so the Sabbath is a verb. Vayishbot, Shabbat. He rested. Bayom Hashavi'i, on the day of resting, on the seventh day. That's the number seven. And also it's rooted in the concept of ceasing, stopping, resting. All right. Mikolamachto, from all his, his uh, kingdoming. <laughs> right? <laughs> from building his own kingdom. Uh, which he had made and he blessed that's it so I'm glad you brought it up because Melanie and I noticed this because it, it was a scary thing for two Gentiles from the woods to do is to say to cut to move here to Houston and tell the whole Christian world around us that we're we're gonna stop on the seventh day and we're gonna rest and we're not gonna do anything of our own we're not gonna build our own kingdom on the seventh day and we were still going to churches when we did this. When, when, when I had finally taught my family and got them to understand it and, and decide to do it. And when we did it, I cannot explain to you the blessing that poured into our life. It would take me hours to explain to you everything that happened on a dime when we did that. The blessing that came into our life and how God sanctified my time. I sanctified 24 hours for him. And he took the remaining six 24 hour periods and made me hyper efficient. Wow. He gave me back time. I was getting things. I still do it. You guys say it. I don't know how you get everything done. God manages my time. I promise you he does. And, and, and I, blow and go until day seven you know when day seven gets here we're done you know not because i'm trying to be legalistic but because god did it and said it's a blessing and promises that if i do it i will be blessed and for 20 some odd years i'm the proof that the sabbath is a blessing in my life you know, um, it, it, in a way, it saves me because I look forward to it. I'm mindful of it. I'm moving toward it every week. And it reminds me that God is a creator and I'm emulating him. He rested. So I'm resting. Yeshua rested on it. He went to synagogue. I'm going to do that. I don't see how people can just ignore it. You know, I, I just don't get it. You know, and I wish... I wish I could find a way to communicate it to our Gentile uh, Christian brothers, how big that blessing is and what they're missing out on, you know? And, and I think the way that the Messianic community is failing is by browbeating people so much about it. That's not a blessing. You know, when you're browbeating people, you say, oh, what a blessing. Oh, oh yeah. Bless me more. Bless me more. <laughs> <laughs> you know? I just want them to see it, you know, somehow, how, how big of a blessing it really is. I can testify to it all day long, you know, 
uh, Melly and I just in brief, we had been married at that time for about what, nine years, dear? Eight years, eight years. We'd been married at that time for about eight years. And in that whole eight years, we had dealt with someone who is connected to us through Shelby. I think you can figure that out. Who had threatened our lives, who had threatened to kill himself and Shelby, who had done all, I mean, just we were constantly, constantly dealing with the law, going to court, restraining orders, all kinds of stuff. And all of that just stopped weeks after we started keeping the Sabbath, maybe immediately. I don't know, but it was May. We both noticed it immediately. And then all the time management stuff that God has done for me over the years. So yeah, I'm, I'm, it is beautiful, Elizabeth. And I'm, I sing the praises of God because I don't know what to do without it. Anybody else? Y'all bored? No. Not at all. <laughs> he gave unto Moshe when he had made an end of speaking with him upon Mount Sinai, the two Luchot Haidut, the tablets of stone written with the finger of Elohim. And I want to show you that that is actually what that says. The Etzba Elohim, the finger of God. Literally. Probably didn't look like that. Cat can't get a hold of God's finger. <laughs> but I, you know, I believe that literally. You know, we we're we're, we're victims of Cecil B. DeMille and the and the Loopy Fire. You know, <laughs> remember that? I see it in a different way. I'm sorry, maybe I'm a little too literal, but I don't I mean, think that's, so. that's literally what it says. That's what it says. Simple enough for me. Written by the finger of God. Jewish people will tell you God doesn't have fingers. Rabbis will. Can't see him, can't be touched, doesn't have form, no shape, unseeable. And that this is not what it's talking about. But I see God sitting on his throne, juxtaposed over the earth, riding with his finger in a stone on a mountain. Is that what, what, happened, with, what happened with the hind parts with Moshe? What do you mean? Like, what do they say about that part when it, when he said, I'll hide you in the clip and you can see my hind that, part? That's what I was wondering about, Tracy. You said it and I thought it. Like, how do they get around that? He they get around it by just, around. by just saying that we're too, we're too simple-minded to understand that that is <laughs> allegory or symbolic. That's what they say. Is yeah. it anybody that can't see that it's not talking about a back and arms and legs and, and head and all of that stuff? is too simple-minded. Basically, we're stupid, mm -hmm. is what they're saying. For my feet. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and the fact that, he, that they saw his feet under the, um, the base. Exactly. exactly. They're standing there looking up through that blue stone, seeing the feet of God, but oh, he doesn't have feet. Literally. Oh, his his are lying. They, are, 
They are literally calling the scriptures a liar. And that's the the shot level. That's just the plain text. That's the plain text, exactly. Sounds to me like somebody is stupid, but it don't sound like it's us. Yeah. (laughs) Melanie said, we're made in his image. So if we were made in an image of an unseeable God, we'd all be invisible and gaseous. Yep. We, We are an allegory. (laughs) (laughs) glory you (laughs) you're glory evolved allegory albert you're glory ali's glory but i ain't glory (laughs) man 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 yeah that's sad that that that, that's sad that that people have to go there it's Um, it's always like it always seems like there's this constant battle to strip away God's character, the things that he's deserving of, um, the reverence that we should have towards him. Just there's always that constant battle going on, you know, as as though he's not special. It's always, and and special is too base of a word to even use to describe him, but they're, they're always trying to take away the significance of who he is in every way. Yeah. You know, and I, and obviously I know the root of that is house of time. It's just it's crazy that everybody people don't see that, you know. Yeah. It it's it really is and you know, uh, we run in a small pack. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah. We run in a small pack. And uh uh you know, I hope the best. I hope that they 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 wake up and see the plain meaning of his text. And obviously, that's why we're doing what we're doing. Um, but I think what I want to reiterate tonight is the the anointing, um, the reverence for ministry, reverence for the anointing. Um, the absolute nature of the Sabbath and the creation and the link. That's the big one, I think. And you guys know that the link between the creation and the observance of the Sabbath, you know, I guess, I guess what I'll do if we can bear another minute or two, is that okay? Oh, Mm -hmm. yes. Yes, sir. Is go to, and I think it's second Peter. Uh, it may not, it may be first Peter. Uh, um, they think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. I think that might be first Peter chapter two. Let me look. Hmm. First Peter four, one. Four. Mm-hmm. Might be down to verse four. 
Perfect, ja. That's not it. Then 12. That's it, but I'm. Um, 12. No, that's not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for where Peter says that they would forget the creation and the flood. Hmm. Yeah, I found that, but I'm linking that to the wrong thing, dear. It's my mistake. I'm looking for where they, they will forget the creation and the flood. So it might be chapter three. Uh, anyway, let me just paraphrase it and somebody can find it. Maybe um, Peter said that in the last days, they will forget the creation and the flood. It would deliberately forget the creation and the flood. Second Peter 3.3. 3. Second Peter. Well, should have went with my gut. Always follow your gut, man. Yeah. <laughs> Knowing this first, that there shall come in the Aharit Hayamim, the last days, we are already in those, right? Yep. Mockers who scoff, following after their own lusts, and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since our fathers died, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Of this they are willingly ignorant, that by Devar Elohim, the word of God, the heavens were of old, and the earth emerged from water and by means of water, and those men, because of whose deeds the world of that time was flooded, perished under the water. But the present heavens and earth are sustained by his word and are reserved for fire on Yom Hadim, which is the day of the destruction of ungodly men. The point being is that evolution was predicted, and it is willful ignorance. World the leaders of this world have literally decided to be stupid by casting off the creation. And, and the Sabbath is one of the reasons, one of the biggest reasons that we do the Sabbath is to commemorate the creation by resting like God did. That's why we do it. And I think that's why, that's one of the reasons why even the Sunday Sabbath has been diminished to nothing more than a, a nod at God in regard to Sabbath and rest. You know, 50 years ago, small town America, maybe even big town America, I don't know, I wasn't in it, but I was in small town America in Baptist churches and Sunday meant you rested. Sunday right. meant you didn't buy alcohol. Sunday meant stores were closed, yeah. right? That's even gone away. So there's no acknowledgement of a rest, of a comfort in God on a weekly basis by anyone. They go to church and then they go do their thing, right? And I think it's, I think it's necessary for the people of God to say, stop. <laughs> you realize that's what Shabbat means? Stop. <laughs> So that's that, that's kind of what I wanted to just reemphasize before we close. Any thoughts, questions, comments before we wrap up?
No. All right. No, that's, I mean, that's, that's a good point, though, that, you know, to point that out, I think we as believers, not only with Shabbat, but just with, with everything biblical, biblically oriented, we don't, we don't truly set it apart enough. No, you know, we don't. we don't, we don't treat it with reverence. We treat God in the word like it's like, oh, oh, that's, that's just God. Like yeah. that's not the creator of everything we know, the creator of all. And like, he doesn't deserve to be set apart. Like he's just ordinary, like everything else. He's you ordinary know, like word. everything else. And he gets one little tiny slice of our time. A right. couple hours once a week, maybe, or a couple hours once a year, depending on your yeah. faith. That's what he gets from most people. And yeah, we got to change that. You know, like I said, we can't change the world. We can change ourselves. That's right. <laughs> you know, I've heard, I've heard believers also say that, um, well, I should be resting on the Sabbath, so I shouldn't even be going out of my house, you know, and of course we know what, um, was it Jacob who said, um, forget not the assembling of, of the brethren and, and of Paul. Course, Paul and then of course you see Yeshua as his custom and, and the fact that the commandment says it is a set apart Assemble. gathering yeah it's an assembly and so it's it's he's he said we have to do that you know it's not yeah. a it's, it's not a oh no we're supposed to that doesn't mean kick up your feet and just lay around on the couch all day it means cut off, you know, well, we know what it means, but it's just people take it. Nope, I should be home, do nothing, you know, and I was like, uh, nope, that's not it. No, that's not it. All right. Avina Malkinu, in the name of your son, Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach, we do give thanks for your word. We ask you to bless this time, correct our error, uh, fix our doctrine if need be, but we have... Uh, uh, delved into your word and we so appreciate what you have done for us help us to sanctify uh our our ministry to you and our worship to you and, and to be reverent before you Amen. Uh, and be an example to people around us in that regard and we ask you to assemble be there when we assemble with your people on shabbat Amen. abba i'd also like to pray for our sister deanne yes. uh, that you would lift her spirits that you would yes. Um, heal her body. Yes. Comfort her soul. Amen. 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 All right, Ooh. everybody. That was good. Thank you, Daniel. Thank you. Yeah. All right. Thanks for tuning in to listen to this week's Torah study class. In the description, you'll find all the links to our website and social media content. Please make sure you're subscribed to our podcast as we can be found on all major podcast platforms. If you feel compelled to support this ministry, please feel free to do so by donating via the Get the Word Out link in the description. All proceeds go toward growing this platform and the Mikdash Mayat ministry. Till the next time, we pray God blesses you with Shalom in the name of Yahweh Yeshua Mashiach.